Hallelujah. Psalm 74, 9, we do not see our signs. Where are our signs? There's no prophet telling us how long it's going to be in this condition. It's a miserable state of affairs, but thank God today, the Lord installed 2,000 years ago some signs in the New Testament church, and they are still with us. They should be with us, and they should be manifesting today. They're signs. We're going to look at the 11th one this morning. And so, the scripture says in 1 Peter 2.9 that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We're a people for God's own possession that we may show forth the praises or show forth the excellencies, the virtues, or the signs of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So God never intended the church of the book of Acts, those early Christians were our example, the example of Christ manifests powerfully in them, Never intended the church to be without those signs. So we need to see our signs today. Can you say praise the Lord? Praise now this morning, if you want to turn to Acts chapter 9 verse 31, the 11th sign that we're going to look at is the sign of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Hallelujah. And I have a feeling this morning we may illuminate some misunderstandings about the fear of the Lord, and hopefully open some doors of understanding in your heart and in your mind that uh, will bring greater freedom in your walk with the Lord as you welcome the sign of the fear of the Lord to be uh, magnified and to grow in your life. Now, um, the book of Acts, the church in the book of Acts, the early Christians, so wonderfully exemplified the fear of the Lord. They really are the perfect example of believers walking in the fear of the Lord. Acts 9.31 says, Then the churches had rest throughout all Judea, Galilee, Samaria, and they were edified and walking. Everyone say walking. Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost and were multiplied. So the Bible says that the churches were edified or built up as they walked in the fear of the Lord and had the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and they were multiplied and grew. Now, what stands out about the Christians in the book of Acts is that they took God seriously. Could there be a more simple or a more practical definition of the fear of the Lord than to take God seriously. Think about it. To distill down what the fear of the Lord really means, rather than, I have did a lot of research and I thought, you know what, I'm not going to bog down the church with a whole bunch of Greek and Hebrew and research. And I thought, let's just distill this down to something that we can all walk out of here with and say, I got it. And that is to take God seriously. That really is the fear of the Lord. And if you take God seriously, you're not going to avoid Him, and you're not going to ignore His commands. When you take the Lord seriously, you think deeply about who you're dealing with and why it's to your advantage to walk with Him. So taking God seriously is really what the fear of the Lord is all about. And those early Christians, we see the wonderful things that God did among them. But let us remember, God installed this 11th sign, the sign of the fear of the Lord, 
so that the believers would be positioned in the place where God could do all those supernatural things that he did. And so perhaps you should think in the back of your mind as you hear me preach about the fear of the Lord this morning, that if we embrace the fear of the Lord and allow this sign to work consistently in our life, we might see the other signs manifest in greater regularity. Let me talk first as we talk about the fear of the Lord, of the fear of the Lord and the comfort of His love. Remember our opening verse says that they walked in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Ghost. The true fear of the Lord and the comfort of God's love, the agape love of God, are actually married together. You don't ever see them apart. The fear of the Lord and the love of God are sandwiched together. You see, the fear of the Lord is not being afraid of God. It's being inspired by God with awe and reverence. Too often people mistakenly connect the fear of the Lord with punishment instead of with love. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out, and I've added the word tormenting, fear. Perfect love drives out tormenting fear because that fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears punishment has not been perfected in love. So understand that when the Bible says that they walked in the fear of the Lord, they were walking around terrified and insecure and afraid that God was going to punish them if they, if they declined from any of Jesus' commands or didn't quite measure up to his expectations. Instead, they were walking in awe, being inspired by Jesus, being inspired by the power of the Holy Spirit in their life, hallelujah, and that inspiration drew them to the love of God. And so 1 John clarifies a problem we have today and they had back then, separating these two fears, these two concepts of fear. Fearing God is not like fearing an enemy, how an enemy could punish you if he got you into his hands. We, think of the, we see these terrible movies sometimes of people that fall into the hands of their enemies and horrible things happen to them. You just cringe and you want to go to a commercial or something. You don't want to watch that. And so the Bible says fear has torment because fear has to do with punishment. But perfect love casts that fear out. So I want you to understand if there's fear of being punished by God, the agape love of God in you wants to cast that fear out. The love of God in you doesn't want that fear hanging around in your mind or in your heart. You are not to fear, be afraid, or walk in trepidation that the Lord is going to punish you if you do something wrong. He's going to inspire you to be better. Grace is not the permission to stay wrong or to stay the same. But grace is the power to rise up and be better. It's the power to change. And so that's how the Lord works in our life. Isn't that right? So the fear of the Lord isn't fear of God's punishment if we don't obey Him. Instead, it's fear of missing His blessing if we displease or ignore Him. That's very different. When I met Jesus, I met life. I met blessing. And once I tasted, and the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good, 
I was afraid of my, my foolish nature, letting my foolish nature of rebellion and uh, 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 neglect and so forth, neglect that relationship. I was afraid not of the Lord, but of me and my propensity or tendency to, um, after several blessings, get overconfident in myself and not bother to stay close to the Lord or fellowship Him or pray or stay in the Word. And so that's not being afraid of God that He's going to punish me if I don't stay close to the Lord or follow Him closely. That's me being afraid of my tendency to rely on self. And so once you get to the top of the mountain, how many of you experienced in your life, though, say, the Lord blesses you, you've been fasting, praying, seeking God, walking before Him in obedience. You get up to the pinnacle of the mountain only to roll back down the other side. You say, why do I keep doing this? Why do you see, God's not kicking you down the other side. That rolling down the other side, back into the valley, is usually because we stop pursuing, we stop believing, and we start relying on self. And so the fear is missing the blessings. God is one perpetual revival. Hallelujah. And He's positioned us to live in life as Him. The Bible says in Him is no darkness. So the Lord's not ready to throw you into the, the dungeon of punishment. His purpose is to always bring you into blessing. And so the fear of the Lord is realizing how awful life is without that blessing. We want that blessing, right? It's enemies in our life that produce the fear of punishment that breeds insecurity and torment. But our Heavenly Father's love, the agape love manifested in Jesus, that produces confidence in God's blessing. I'm confident that Jesus has blessed, is blessing, and wants to continue blessing me. I'm confident of that. And the Father's love gives me that confidence. That love has driven out fear and along with it, the fear of punishment. So I'm not afraid of God punishing me. I'm afraid of me punishing myself by not enjoying the presence of the Lord when I could be enjoying His presence. Can you say amen? amen. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1 puts it like this. Therefore, while the promise of entering into the Lord's rest still holds and is offered today, let us be afraid to distrust it, lest any of you should think that he has come too late or has come short of reaching it. That is awesome. Let us be afraid. Now, the Bible says we should not be afraid of the Lord. But what is it that we are afraid of? We are afraid of thinking in ways that lead us to believe that the, the door is closed. We're too late. God's grace is not there. Have you ever done a thing in your life or been in a situation where you thought, that's it, the Lord's fed up with me. <laughs> you know what that is? That's you superimposing on God your own being fed up with yourself. You're fed up with you, and so you figure, well, God's fed up with me. But God is not like a man that he should lie. He said, in Christ, they are mine. I've put my laws in their heart and in their minds. I write them, and I will be their God. They will be my people. And the Lord said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm with you always, even under the ends of the earth. And so here the scripture says there's a promise standing like an open door. Enter the rest of God. You have entered that rest. Today you are entering the rest. And hopefully tomorrow you will live in that rest and 
Every time the enemy rises up to come against you, to wear you down, and life tries to cut you off at the knees, there is a promise of entering his rest that you can take. You see, we don't just get saved at some point. We've entered the rest of God. And then from that point on, we are automatically always filled, living in the brightness of his glory. Life is there happening to us every day. And so we renew and refresh that decision to partake of him. We call it, in simple terms, fellowship. We fellowship with the Lord. So when life is there trying to, as I said, cut you at the knees, what do you do? You enter in to the rest. In fact, the Bible says labor to enter the rest. So today I want you to know that the fear of the Lord is simply you saying, I'm afraid of staying outside of fellowship with God because I know how rough it can be when I'm out of fellowship. I'm not afraid that the Lord's not going to let me back in. I don't allow thoughts in my mind to, uh, to sow any kind of sentiment of unbelief or that the doors are barred, that the Lord's not going to receive me. I know He is. And in fact, the reason I repent of my sins when I sin, the reason I ask God to forgive me is because I know He has. Not because I'm worried that He doesn't want to and I've got to talk Him into it. You need to stop that kind of uh, that kind of uh, repenting, that repenting that's based on unbelief. I, I've, I've probably really got him angered this time. I know what I said last time. I don't know what I'm going to come up with this time because he's heard all this before. What am I going to say now? You see, he's not a man. He is agape. He is the love of God. So the fear of the Lord is the awesomeness that he inspires in me not the terror that I allow to build up in my mind through wrong attitudes about God. In fact, it's God's merciful kindness that actually produces the fear of the Lord. Here's an amazing verse, and I know you've probably heard it. It's in Psalm 130, verses 3 through 4. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, count our sins, so to speak. O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that you may be feared. Isn't that awesome? But Lord, you're not marking our iniquities. With you there is forgiveness, so that you may be feared. He's obviously not talking about us being scared of God. He's talking of us being inspired by His forgiveness. His forgiveness and mercy inspires awe. What an awesome God! I fear that in my foolishness, I will rely on myself and not just come into the Lord's presence. Let me wrap up by talking about fear and wisdom. How the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In Psalm 111 verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning or the first steps of wisdom. When the true wisdom of God enters your life, the first thing that wisdom wants to do is walk into the presence of the Lord. That is the first steps of wisdom. If you're taking notes, you may want to put down 1 Kings, the book of 1 Kings, chapter 3, verses 4 through verse 15. It is the marvelous story of how King Solomon received that supernatural gift of wisdom from the Lord. I want you to see 
When wisdom arrived in Solomon's life, I want you to see the transformation that it instantly made relative to the fear of the Lord. Now, Solomon had great respect for God. And there's a lot of people in the world that have respect for God and they think about God and consider God. This sign called the fear of the Lord is a supernatural sign that I believe is beyond people's natural fear or respect for God. This ability to take God seriously takes a little thinking. It's not just a natural impulse of I'm a little worm and he is the great creator of the universe. It thinks a little more deeply. It takes into account who God is. It takes into account how he came in Jesus Christ and entered history and left his eternal throne of glory and condescended into our sinful condition in order to pay the penalty and the price for our sins, taking our burden of guilt upon himself and putting it away through the offering of his blood, rose from the dead in that incredible act of love and showed us how much God cares for each and every one of us. He died for the sins of the whole world. There are many, many people who are not going to open that present and receive that gift, but it's there anyway. He provided it. And so that is the fear of the Lord. And wisdom, the first thing wisdom does is turn to God in acknowledgement of that great love. The story of Solomon brings it out. The young King Solomon is on the throne. His father David's passed away. And the kingdom, both the southern and the northern kingdom, have consolidated together under him. And he is, he is reign, beginning his reign in the golden age of Israel. And his habit was to go, I think it was probably 10, 10 to 20 miles, just outside of Jerusalem was Mount Gibeon to the north of Jerusalem, and on Mount Gibeon was the old tabernacle of Moses. Most of you should remember the tabernacle of Moses, the tent with the outer court, and then the holy place and the most holy place. And what was in the most holy place? What was really the epicenter of the tabernacle? Somebody tell me. The Ark of the Covenant that represented Jesus Christ. The Ark of the Covenant is wood overlaid with gold in which were the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod that budded and a little pot of some manna represented Jesus Christ our Savior. And it was in that most holy place was the ark. And so Solomon used to go up there and offer offerings and sacrifices on Mount Gibeon. Without going into a whole lot of explanation, Mount Gibeon was a little like church today, unfortunately, because the ark was gone. It, the tabernacle was there. Everything was there. The furniture, the priests were there. They were making sacrifices. They were, they were um, uh, going through all of the rituals and the formulas of the religion, but the ark was gone. Do you know what happened to the ark? It's a wonderful story. You can read about it in First and Second Samuel. Go ahead and read all that, and you'll find that story in there, but the ark was on Mount Zion in Jerusalem in David's backyard. David had taken the ark, had brought it up to his house, pitched a tent in the backyard, put the ark under there and started praising God going directly to the ark without 
the tabernacle of Moses. He bypassed all of the priesthood and bypassed all of those religious um, uh, formulas and he went right to the presence of God. And so Solomon knew where the ark was. The ark was right in Solomon's backyard. But Solomon was in the habit of going to the tabernacle, just going to church, just following the ritual. You know what I'm talking about? And uh, so the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 3 that Solomon went up to Mount Gibeon to the tabernacle and offered 1,000 burnt offerings. That had to take some time. 1,000 burnt offerings in one day. The Bible says he went home and went to sleep. I'd go to sleep too after 1,000 burnt offerings. The Bible says as he went to sleep, the Holy Ghost came upon him and God came to him in a dream. It was in that dream that night after offering 1,000 burnt offerings at the empty tabernacle of Moses that God said, ask what you will. It will be done for you. And in the dream, Solomon said, Lord, that I might have wisdom to go in and out before your people and to serve you as, this, as the king of your people. And God was so delighted, the Bible says, that he granted him wisdom, plus he gave him riches and, and, uh, and honor and, and so forth. And so in verse 15, listen to what the Bible says. Solomon awoke. And behold, it was a dream. And he came to Jerusalem. And he stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered burnt offerings and offered peace offerings. Then he made a great feast for all his servants. Now I want you to get this. The day before, he offers a thousand burnt offerings at the tabernacle of Moses. Goes to bed worn out. God comes to him in a dream and installs wisdom in him. Wakes up the next morning with wisdom installed in his mind. First thing he does, jumps out of bed, but he does not go back to the tabernacle and offer one more offering of a burnt offering. What does wisdom do? Wisdom wakes him up. Wisdom takes its first step right at the presence of God. Wisdom went right to the ark where the presence of God is. You see, the Bible says wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. For the first time in his life, Solomon was probably afraid of God. Solomon probably had great regard for God. But when he woke up with wisdom in his heart, he had something new. He had the fear of the Lord. The awesome reverence of God that inspired him to know, I can go directly to the presence of God. You see, the fear of the Lord is what causes you to walk with God. Not just to think of him at a distance, but to go right in and jump in daddy's lap and say, Woo, thank you, Lord, for loving me. You would have never done that before. You'd say, I am not going to jump in God's lap. I would rather offer a thousand burnt offerings in church than to go jump in the lap of Jesus. But when the fear of the Lord hits you, come on, hallelujah. Wisdom's first step is into the presence of God. That is the fear of the Lord. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, Jesus is made wisdom to you. 
When you received Jesus, you received wisdom, just as Solomon received wisdom. And you know, Jesus, hallelujah, Jesus, when we receive Him, we find out that God is approachable, that God is knowable. We realize, hallelujah, in Jesus, that we can take God seriously because He brings God to us. When you take God seriously, you'll know God seriously. Let me say that one more time before we close. When you take God seriously, you'll know God seriously. Hallelujah. So take Him seriously this morning. Receive the fear of the Lord in your life. And don't ever run from God, always to God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Hallelujah. And the fear of the Lord is one of the most powerful signs of the church. It's what enables us to be in the place where God can do all those other things that He wants to do. A man or a woman who walks in the fear of the Lord knows that Jesus is the healer, knows that Jesus is the deliverer. The man or woman who is doubtful or insecure and isn't sure lacks the fear of the Lord. But he who walks in the fear of the Lord is sitting in the Father's lap, hugging, saying silly things to God, but refusing to get out of that lap, feeling confident to just be yourself. If anyone else says, well, she's just so silly, he's ridiculous, that's all right. They're confident. They would, they're more afraid of missing the Lord's love than pleasing other people's opinions. Yeah. Hallelujah. That's the fear of the Lord. It frees you from the opinions of others. Amen. And it causes you, I opened up by saying, those people in the book of Acts, it says, they walked in the fear of God and had the comfort of the Holy Ghost and were multiplied. You want to walk with God? Walk in the fear of the Lord. You'll walk with God. Stand up with me this morning. Hallelujah.